is the Doing Diversity in Writing podcast, the show where we as authors explore the better practices of writing inclusively, whether that be in terms of race, gender, ethnicity, class, sexuality, ability, and so on. Why are we here? To bring more depth and breadth to the characters in our fiction and represent them in the best way possible. My name is Bethany A. Tucker, and with me each week is my co-host, Marielle S. Smith. Ready? Let's dive in. Hey, Marielle. How you doing? Hey, Bethany. Oh, wow. Uh, so excited. Um, hi, Bethany. I am tired. It's been a, it's been a week. Um, but I think the topic of today will energize me uh, once we start talking about it. So how are you? Pretty good. Kind of in the same boat. I um, um, had to like completely get my computer back together and all my tech back together this week. So it's a little crazy. Yes, I don't think we, because uh, we did the interview with uh, Professor Grace L. Dillon, and I don't think we actually explained to our audience what happened. Um, first, you had COVID, and then your computer died. So, yeah, we, we were in a bit of a pickle. Mm, yeah, I was able to borrow a computer from one of my partners and make everything work, like, right before the interview happened. Yeah. Uh, but I'm back on my my normal machine my baby back from texas half its parts are replaced so yay for apple care i didn't have to pay anything for that well i paid for apple care and an apple computer so yeah <laughs> but it would have been a new computer time if i hadn't yeah all right um, so so we're back so we're back and i'm happy and writers always always have backup i did not lose anything because I literally keep a backup hard drive on my desk. And so when it went kaputs, I was safe. Excellent. Yeah, that's why I, I have everything on Google Drive. And then occasionally I back up my Google Drive. Good idea. Very yeah. good. All right. So we, um, we decided to really have fun this week and talk about something that has come to mean a lot to both of us in the last few weeks since we were introduced to it. Well, technically my friend introduced me to this right before New Year's. And then I have been listening to the music ever since. And that is the movie Encanto um, yes. put out by Disney. Uh, I believe it, it dropped last October of November. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, it's, I, it's around that time that pretty much my entire Facebook um friend up. collection sort of yeah blew up and and this is interesting because I remember when Frozen came out that was really well received as well of course but it was it was not the adults it was the children and this time I feel I've had a lot of friends like from all corners of the world going yeah so my kid is watching Encanto again or am I making her watch it again um, so that was that that's very new for me that it's uh, um, I know a lot of adults who are listening to the soundtrack nonstop who are um, have watched it repeatedly don't feel bad for once that their kids just want to see the same thing over and over. I mean that um, that's a blessing. I think 
as much as I love Finding Nemo after the 33rd time I saw it in 30 days, I was ready to tear my hair out. That was a particularly bad teething session with one of my siblings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's great, right? And and um yeah. So so let's talk about um Encanto and uh, the representation of diversity. Um within yeah. the story because that is to be honest what most of my friends also um were extremely excited about yeah and to start if you have not watched it the movie yet if you're listening and you have not watched Encanto yet turn this off because we are going to have all kinds of spoilers in this episode we did oh, yes. wait long enough that we felt most everyone would have listened seen sorry seen Encanto um, already so that we feel safe going with spoilers but if you have not managed to see it yet please come back and listen to this later otherwise the story will be spoiled for you and of course if you have no interest in watching it you just want us here talk about it feel free to just continue listening of course all right so um I did realize that some people did not know that Encanto is set in the country of Colombia so I just want to say that straight up. It is uh, actually set in one particular country. The flora, fauna, et cetera, represented in the film is all from Colombia. You don't hear that, actually, because I remember seeing it the second time. And the second time I watched it was with my partner. Um, and halfway through the movie, she asked me, so where is this set exactly? And then I was like, you'll hear eventually. But it's like uh, you hear it at the end. When you have the song uh, in yeah. which they 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 uh, they sing about Colombia, yeah. So so you hear you don't hear it until the end, yeah. I did not know when I first went into it where it was set. I had a very strong sense of place, but I didn't I didn't know. So I've heard some people say, "Oh, it's set in Mexico. It's set here. It's set there." No, it is set very intentionally in Colombia. Yes, but I have like they have, I have I've read critics talking about that even though it's set in Colombia um they so this, these are Latinx critics right um and, and some enjoy that aspect and some don't enjoy that aspect don't appreciate that aspect that it gives kind of a sort of like pan Latinx feel that it could be set in different communities within South America and some see that as a good thing some see that as a bad thing that's you know um opinions differ so that is probably also why because I also had trouble um I also didn't know like if if it hadn't been for somebody telling me before I saw the film I wouldn't have known but, yeah. I, I have mixed feelings about that and as I dug into the responses and they're still coming out and they were mostly positive like overwhelmingly mostly positive from everyone that I could find but there were some criticisms made and we'll get to that. But what I appreciated was that it was a human experience and that it was very carefully set because if you knew, as I dug into it, like the, the little golden butterflies that show up all over the posters and all through the film, they are connected to a particular uh, author who wrote I think it's called magical realism. Um, and so basically, if you wrote anything in 
Columbia that had magical realism in it, from what I learned very recently, you had to have the golden butterfly, the yellow butterfly in the story. So in that case, it is a very Colombian film. Yeah, so it is clearly rooted in that literary tradition. Yeah, so if you don't know enough about the tradition, you might pass it over as pan um, Latin America. But there are little things like every single plant and leaf and flower exactly comes from regions of Colombia that doesn't make it that way. Yeah. So for those who are in the know, and that is also, so this is the thing, like I've seen critics say it even to them, right? And they've like, so critics who have grown up in Colombia or even still live in Colombia, they feel that's like some sort of like pan-Latinx sort of experience. But at the same time, I've been reading critics who are like, just the way the story unfolds, just the way the story is written reminds them of so many um like literary, tradi- like the Colombian literary tradition, you know, for example, um, where the house represents the country, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So it's like this microcosm. Yeah. Um, so for them, that makes it actually, so the story, the, the, the plot makes it very Colombian because to them, it, it's clearly like I said before, like, like, like I didn't know about the, about the butterfly, but that's also again, like, rooted specifically in that uh colombian tradition that literary tradition um yeah, but i think really- that that makes it interesting right that how and and we've said this before of course in, in in previous episodes like communities are not homogenous right so it makes all the sense that different colombian critics have very different and varying responses to this cultural artifact Yes. So I read a, I read one article um, where a person who's half Colombian, their father uh, moved to the U.S. when he was 25. And I assume he married um, someone of Colombian descent uh, because not someone of Colombian descent, someone of European descent, because uh, she was very fair skinned and she seemed to she was definitely biracial of some sort but and it was considered because she was so pale and like almost ginger haired like you I think um, that it wasn't safe for her to go visit because of the challenges and unrest happening in um, Columbia at the time as she was growing up but she took her father to the theater after they had managed to visit she and her father had managed to visit Columbia meet her uncles and aunts and her grandmother and her cousins and when she and her father was sitting in the theater um there was just this overwhelming sense of oh this is amazing I recognize this this food we ate the food um I know that piece of culture and it feels so real I am going to temporarily step away because there is a monster crawling across the floor towards me. Give okay. Me a yeah, deal with that, please. Hi, everyone. It's Mariella. Are you tired of getting in your own way and not having a sustainable writing practice? Then the 52 Weeks of Writing Author, Journal, and Planner is for you. 52 Weeks of Writing makes you plan, track, reflect on, and improve your progress and goals an entire year long. It gets you to unravel the truth about why you aren't where you want to be, 
and it keeps you writing through weekly thought-provoking quotes and prompts. 52 Weeks of Writing brings together every lesson I have learned over the past few years as a writer and a writing coach. Wary as I am of comparisonitis and unhealthy competition, I designed this undated author journal and planner to help writers develop a practice that honors their own needs and desires. If you're ready to become the writer you were always meant to be, go to mswordsmith.nl slash journal and order your copy today. All right, I apologize for that. He literally crawled in under the door and was way too large and aggressively crawling towards me to ignore. Was it a spider? It was a wolf spider, one of those big jumpy kinds that's at least two inches across. I do not know this creature, nor do I wish to know this creature. I, mean, I thought about showing him to you, and then I was like, oh, no. No. No, that's okay. Let's get just back to the topic. All right. So after that short delay where I had to rehome some of my own flora and fauna of the scary kind I will not torture Marielle with, uh, can you remind me? Because my last couple of minutes was watching this thing creep up on me. <laughs> okay. Let's just, because um, uh, I'm, I'm thinking what we should be doing here is, because I also kind of as I was wondering what had oh, I know what under I your door. About. Oh, great. I, I know what I was talking about. I never right. know what I was talking about. So good for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So after, after that spider incident, um, there was so much recognition from this person's father and so much recognition oh, from yes. them after having visited their, their family there. And that was a theme that I saw through many of the reviews of people who said it. And there were there was concrete recognition of this is this is us. This yeah. I recognize this. Um yeah. and I think and it wasn't the detail, right? It was in the details. Yeah, and, so it's like the food they were eating and, and, and stuff like that, yeah. And, the and, and also the this, things they were saying. The things they were like, saying, um, yeah. I don't speak Spanish. And if Spanish comes up during this episode, my boyfriend will probably laugh at me because he speaks more than I do and I'm terrible at it when I try to say Spanish. But uh, one thing that happens sometimes is that the Spanish being used will be the wrong Spanish for where a film is set, etc. Yes. Um, I, I ran across this many times and they'd be like, which Spanish are you speaking? Or he was speaking with a, you know, a, a, an accent from the wrong country. And it was really obvious he was supposed to be from, uh, I think Narcos had this problem uh, in one of the articles I read where someone was obviously had the wrong accent, but the people producing it didn't care because yeah, they didn't think it was important. But it is. But it is, especially. Yeah. And from what I heard, the accents were much better in Encanto. Again, I'm going on articles. I don't speak Spanish. And <laughs> I don't yes. know well enough yeah. to recognize. Yeah, but I did read an article of somebody geeking out about very specific words that were sort of slipped in that were very Colombian. Uh, just Colombian versions, right? Like uh, so that so that so so there was there was a Colombian completely uh, Colombian critic like completely geeking out um, because that yes. is like a really for them that was like that that's that made it feel like 
yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know, I, I know this, I know this, 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 this hits home. And I appreciate yeah. the fact that the film was produced in Spanish and English. So there is a complete Spanish version and then the English version as well that has a few Spanish words in it. Yeah, I was really shocked when you have the song, uh, I cannot pronounce it, Dos Orguitas. Um, and then, you know, after the film, mm -hmm. right, you hear it in English. And that was just really weird for me. <laughs> Sometimes was... I like to get soundtracks and I'll listen to them in both languages. Yeah, but that was just so odd for me that to hear that song in English. I'm like, okay. Um, but this is because because I think some of the things that we want to discuss today also have to do with how, how it was produced, right? Because as we discussed before on the podcast, um, one of the layers of diversity is who was behind the product, right? And so in yeah. terms of books, that's who's publishing it, like who are the, the mm -hmm. gatekeepers, et cetera. But how about we start with what we do on the podcast and that is the character. So how, how let's, let, maybe we should talk about the immense diversity because I think that is what made us both really happy. It did. And I think this is something we've talked about so often and happened so well is yes, the, the, the film was set in Colombia. Yes, there were challenges around that. Yes, they did some parts of it incredibly well. But the reason this is a global sensation right now is the diversity within the diversity. Yeah. And how much all of us could see ourselves in the film in some way. Because yeah. as we have said over and over again, even if you're writing in a culture or a place or a career or a setting that's not yours, make everybody human and everyone in this film is so incredibly human and flawed and insecure and desiring and having needs that it's absolutely amazing yes I mean I remember before I watched it you showed me or you made me watch um, as you were watching me you made me watch uh, Surface Pressure by the yes. character uh, Louisa and that was, and it's still like, I still listen to the sound, but specifically for me, that song resonates so strongly. Um, and I know so many other women who have that same feeling about not, this very particular song. It's not just women. I hear a lot of men are like on the down low listening to it on repeat too. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that speaks very much about something um, that is um, an issue in our wider society right now. Yes. Louisa, yeah. for me, was, as a character creation, just knocked the ball out of the park. Because not only did the people making the film, the producers and creators fight Disney and win, on allowing her to have a body style that's not the normal Disney princess pretty body style. Mm -hmm. um, I think she's gorgeous, but <laughs> I'm also a bisexual and a woman that's rather, uh, I could carry 50 pound bags of wheat as a kid, like at 12 years old, that's something I could do. And it gave me biceps none of my classmates had at Sunday school, which was uncomfortable. And when I saw her, I was like, oh my gosh, let me hug you. So just for those who don't know who like what, like what Encanto is, like we have this magical family 
Mm-hmm. And all except one of the, actually, no, because Abuela also doesn't have magical powers of her own. So there's two characters who don't have magical powers, although Abuela was the one who was gifted the magic. And that makes her really important because as I sing in this um, in the song, uh, let's be clear, Abuela runs the show. Uh, that is very obvious. Um, Oh, very, so, very obvious. yeah. So, so Mirabel, the the uh, um, protagonist, she has two sisters. One's gift is beauty. She creates uh, um, beautiful flowers. Um, and there's Luisa, who's like super strong. And she, Luisa, is actually the second born. So even, I did not know that. So many people think that Luisa is the first born because she's so strong and she's taking on everything. But the fact of the matter is that she is second born. And I enjoyed that because so often we do have the stereotype of the firstborn takes on everything. And yeah. the firstborn Isabella, the one who grows flowers and is very beautiful. And that's her role in the family is to be that beauty. Um, yeah. She's the taking on a golden child. Yeah, but she's not taking on like the work that Louisa does because she's so strong. Because when we she, first she, meet Louisa, yeah. she's like moving a church and hauling around six donkeys. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, of course, and that we we learned that later on is that um, Isabella, so the perfect golden child, also carries a burden, and that mm-hmm. is the burden of always having to be beautiful. Like she is the whole. So their cousin Dolores actually once is in love with the guy they all know is going to propose to Isabella. Uh, But Isabella doesn't want to marry him. But, you know, Abuela thinks it's a good idea to connect the families in such a way. Um, And she's a beauty. And the guy is like the hunk of the village. So so I find that an interesting, um, because we know all the Disney princesses, right? And we critique Mm -hmm. the Disney princesses. And in this case, the only one who looks like a Disney princess and is treated as a Disney princess gets really sick and tired and says <laughs> says in the film when she realizes she can do more than just grow flowers and beauty um she says she's so sick and tired of of being pretty i want something true don't you yeah um yes i've listened to the soundtrack over and over um, <laughs> um but and but the thing is so this is, and this blows my mind. So as we're talking about this kind of role models for, for girls, um, the whole critique on pretty, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's in the film, like the film mm-hmm. critiques it. Like at one point when, when Mirabel is introducing the family and she says, She's the perfect golden child. Like she has this, you even hear it in the song. Like she has this massive eye roll, like, oh my God, like my sister does something and the whole town like swoons, right? And she's like, Mm -hmm. oh God, like I have it up to here. They're not friends, right? At the beginning, they cannot stand each other. Uh, And this, I'm pretty sure this is like a huge reason for that because she's just like, I think she calls her sister um, something like a diva or something, right? Like, um, so the thing is that after the film, um, I was going to say published, but no, it's not published, launched. Uh, after the film uh, uh, um, hit the theaters and then Disney Plus. So they were sort of surprised that all the Louisa dolls sold out 
and they didn't not make the, that many e- of them and not the isabella dolls because eve so, so this is for me it's sort of a, a great mind fuck that i wanted to talk to you about is that the film critiques this idea of you know all you need to be is be beauty beautiful and perfect and then you're because you know that's that's the ideal they critique it in the film like this girl doesn't come alive until she starts messing things up and getting dirty right and mm-hmm. going wild and doing crazy crazy She's stuff basically of like, wearing like a version of tie-dye by the end yes and instead of this sort of like pastel pinkish Pink perfect purple, dress yeah. right and but they still made all these dolls instead of Louisa dolls, right? And then they were surprised that the Louisa dolls sold out and kids were not really interested in the Isabella dolls. And I'm like, did you not realize the thing you were critiquing in your own, which was for me, I was really glad to see that critique. Yeah, I actually spent like 30 minutes on the internet yesterday trying to find even one item of swag or toys or something for Isabella after she stopped being pretty perfect. But all of the stuff that Disney produced or the distributors for toys produced is her at the beginning of her journey. And so what we're all excited about for Isabella to change and be able to grow cactus and vines and everything else and not just flowers, that that beautiful character arc that she has there's nothing out there for it. Like I would go out and consider buying a poster of her at the end of the film. I'm not interested in her at the beginning of the film. But that is the, that is the picture of her that they want to sell. So for me, that is, I cannot really wrap my head around that. Disney is a large corporation. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I was thinking the ones who who are doing the marketing are not the same people who produced the film. Yes, so yes, we're seeing, I completely get that. Yes, so I think we're seeing this transition point where there's so much change, there's so much um, mindfulness happening around the actual creators, but it hasn't transferred yet to the marketing department or the creation department for like what they're pushing, because those are two different entities. We yeah, have to remember Disney is so big that the yeah. film creators are not cr- controlling the rest of it. But I do hope this is a great lesson for whoever's, you know, in charge of, of, of that part of the, of the, the company, because I was really excited by that fact. And I'm, I'm not excited in a surprised way. I'm like, what did you expect? Like you finally, you finally give girls other role models, role models that they've been wanting for years. And then you're surprised that, the typical role model that you have doesn't sell. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but of course, the thing about Isabella as well, and that is what I found really, uh, um, and I know y- you've made that point before as well, um, is that when we talk about diversity, like there's so many different shades in this film. Like there's so many different skin colors, right? The whole family is made up of different uh, um yeah, they have a lot of tones yeah. going on. Yeah. And so Isabella is the beauty, but she's also the darkest. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that is that is an actual pushback to a culture yes. of skin lightning, etc. I don't know how much skin lightning happens in Colombia itself, 
but I do know that globally, where this film is yeah. being distributed, that's an issue. Yes. And I do know it's issues in parts of South America. It's definitely still an issue in the U.S. It's definitely an issue in places I've lived in Asia. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so, it's even uh, um, Asian communities in the Netherlands. Like on the, on the black market, you can buy... Like the skin uh, the bleaching stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I was really excited to see that she was cast as the Disney princess kind of character. Yes. And then I... I am definitely, you know, in the queer community, but by the end, I kind of felt she was a little bit <laughs> like when she pushes Dolores, when she helps Maribel set Dolores up with her former uh, person that she was supposed to engage and she was so excited about it. I was like, girl, I'm, I'm feeling you a little bit because <laughs> she was really happy being single. Yes, and that's another thing, actually, that um, there's only one character um, of the young ones. There's only one who has a love interest. Mm -hmm. And that is not the protagonist. No. Not yeah, so it's not, it's not about love. It, it's about love, but familial love. And it's a love, love with, yeah, and it's a love that has boundaries because Dolores approaches... Um, I forget his name. I think it might be Manuel, but I'm not sure. No, uh, Amario, I think. Amario. Uh, she approaches him and then he's like, let's get married. Like two seconds later. Slow down. And she's like, all right, slow your roll. She yeah. has boundaries. She's like, we're here now. We're not going yes. there yet. Yes, we just we've just realized that we can be together. Yeah. And that is, of course, you know, one of Bruno's Bruno said they couldn't be together, uh, but they could be. Yeah. In the end. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so that for me. And, and of course, we have to talk about Antonio when we talk about skin color. Mm -hmm. little, little Antonio, because that is actually, I think, my original. How, how I came to know, because I did not have Disney Plus, right? Because I could not get a VPN. Now I have a VPN that works, but I, I couldn't figure it out before. Um, so I was completely out of touch with what Disney was producing for, well, ever since I moved to Cyprus and the pandemic started and cinemas stopped doing what they do so well. Um, so I think I the first, the first moment I heard about Encanto was because... Um, that post went viral with this little boy who was standing next to the TV screen um, when Antonio was like on TV and he was just like, and they look exactly alike. And the kid was just overjoyed. They, like their hair shape was exactly the same. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And that is like why representation matters, right? I got so excited about Peppa and Felix because um, Peppa is very pale almost like hmm. hair and Felix is really dark Peppa is a ginger yeah yeah and so I was like yeah. it's very rare for me to see that mix of romantic um interests I mean they're married they're stable and it was just really nice to see that and to yeah. see that in a couple that's established and has a really good um a really good dynamic yeah, but there was there was another form of diversity that I saw in the film uh, that I appreciate, and that was I've never seen I haven't heard anyone else talk about it, so I'll just bounce it off of you. And that is male caretakers, because uh 
because Felix is very definitely that rock that uh balancing force for Peppa because she is <laughs> trying to calm her down <laughs> calm her down it's raining and he like everyone around them is like oh Peppa it's raining like stop the thunderbolts but he's standing there with an umbrella like I love her she's amazing I got, I got you boo um, yeah he is so he probably goes through a ton of laundry but he is so just calm about everything and he loves her and he loves her for exactly what she is yeah yeah um you say male character because I just want to ask you I'm gonna bounce question back do we did you see any examples of a toxic masculinity in this production Mm, I hadn't actually thought about that it's such a female-driven film. Because that was what I was thinking. Like, I am so used, like, when I think about other um, Disney films, and often it's the villain, right? It's, it's often the villain. Like, I'm thinking, uh, when I think about uh, Frozen again, it's, uh, it's, it's Prince Hans, right? He's like a toxic masculinity kind of representation. Um but like you say male caretakers and I'm like Mirabel, Mirabel's dad as well. Like he is such, like he's a clumsy guy, right? Yeah, he's always getting hurt. But he's an extremely supportive dad. He's a very supportive Like a really dad. nice. He's an even more supportive partner to his, his wife. Like he, he thinks the world of her and he's right there for everything and he pitches in. Um, so it's 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 just funny to see because these women all have, you know, all the all these people have gifts, right? Almost all of them have gifts, right? But it's like, so the men fall in love with them, and then they give space to that. Mm-hmm. And that is, of course, and this is something I think that a lot of women who are not necessarily magically gifted but are really good at something, right? Like there's always this discussion. Um, that people kind of assume that when a woman starts making more money than her husband or is more uh, or male partner or is more successful than her male partner, that her male partner somehow suffers because of that or that it sort of takes away his masculinity or something. And that is not something that is a problem for these these men in, in this particular film. Yeah, I would say that they were both of these men that married into the magical family to the two sisters. Um, They're not under pressure that some men get put under pressure to provide. The family collectively is providing, the magic is providing, their wives have very significant skill sets that the community needs. So they have the space, maybe even the permission to feel into their feelings, to be there for their children, to be there for their significant others in a way that male characters that are written that have all this pressure and like, you know, you got to do this and you got to do that. Mm-hmm. don't have the space to do literally not the time of the day. Definitely. Yeah. Cause, because these two husbands, def- what I see, they provide so much emotional support. Oh, the family would have fallen apart years ago without them. <laughs> yeah but I think that but I think that for men I think that is a really that is really great to see 
Yes, but it's only, I'm going to, I might get in trouble on this one. It's only because the women are not pushing the toxic masculinity on them. Of course, and this is the thing with toxic masculinity, patriarchy, white supremacy, et cetera, et cetera. It can uh, be enforced by either. It's like a lot of women are complicit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, but I do, I, I just, I, it was so nice to see men who are very comfortable letting their women shine. Yeah. And, and we're no less themselves. Yeah. No, because they, everybody has a role. Yeah. So I'm checking the clock because I know that this episode has to be a little bit shorter than some of the ones we've done recently. <laughs> um, and I was going to bring up diversity that happened in a couple other ways. Yes, um, go ahead. Spe- specifically, um, I think we've mentioned body types. I didn't know if you wanted to go into that anymore. Well, I mean, they do all. And this is the thing. It's, it's not just that everybody has a different uh, skin color. And that there's like various tones there. Um, but yeah, everybody does have a different body type. Yeah. And I I was reading about this and this is probably one of the points I saw some of the most mixed reviews is some people were like, well, in Colombia, a family wouldn't look like that. We, we don't mix mm-hmm. like that. It wouldn't be okay. And others pe- saying, this is what my family looks like. Yeah. So again, it's uh, like... Colombian critics are not some homogenous group, right? They all have their own experiences. Yeah. yeah. I also read one, one who said, this might not be what we look like right now, but I definitely think that this is something to aspire to, that this should be the ideal, that we can mix like this. Yes. Yes. It made Which me I think thought of my was own... Really, yeah. yeah. It made me think of my own family. We don't have anybody of Colombian descent, but we definitely have different people with different skin tones and the younger generations do not look the same as the older generations no yeah so one of the other things and i went down a rabbit hole on youtube while i was you know kind of burning up with covid fever i just laid in bed and i listened to a lot of people looking at the musical aspects of the film Mm -hmm. and the uh i mean the music was absolutely amazing um uh lin manuel he did hamilton and the heights and he was part of moana like he he brought his signature to it it was amazing the other he also did uh um um what's his the, the the Oh, now I'm losing the, 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 so the, the, the guy who did Rent, the musical, mm-hmm. uh, tick, 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 boom. I don't Gar- know. With Garfield. Okay. That's just, that's his, that, that's one of the things he did as well. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. So also, um, Jermaine Franco did the other music in the film and was part of the, the, so Lin-Manuel wrote music for it, wrote lyrics for it, definitely. Um, but the score was by a woman named Jermaine Franco. Okay. And I, I think that gets lost because everyone's so excited about Lin-Manuel and the songs. But uh, I wanted to remind everyone that she also did it as well. 
It's actually, I read somewhere that somebody was actually saying that, um, yes, of course, the music is great because, you know, it's Le Manuel Miranda, um, but also uh, we should be really careful to, you know, whenever there's some Latinx thing going on, we ask the same person. Um, so they were like, you know, we should not fall into that trap. Um, so I'm actually glad that you point out it's not just Nemo, uh, it's actually, you know, a combination of, of different people. Yeah, uh, and it was produced by Mike Elizondo. So there was a lot of people went into it. Um, yeah. But we all recognize one name and we, we graft onto yeah. it and get really excited because, yeah, they, I mean, come on, uh, evidently uh, Bruno's name is Bruno and not Oscar because Lin-Manuel Miranda was writing the music and he was like, this would work so much if I could use something with the no-no. Yeah, because that's like originally, I don't know if anybody, everybody knows that, but originally uh, Bruno was called as Oscar and then of course like that just, it doesn't really work with the song and I think it's I mean I mean uh, we don't talk about Bruno it's like such a great song um so in the music itself I listen to a whole bunch of people who either produce music or are singers or know a lot about music and there's a depth and a diversity in the music used um I believe the team that produced the music went to Columbia for research and then also I got so excited because I sing a little bit for myself. I haven't performed, but it's often so hard for me to sing with the original scores because my voice is lower. I know it doesn't sound that way all the time, but it's really hard for me to hold and sustain higher notes. And Louisa is an alto, like this beautiful deep alto. And it's so easy to sing along because she has a lower voice. And a lot of times, a female characters get cast with soprano voices but a lot of women are not sopranos no so yeah. i was glad to see that 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 expansion happen um i will probably... so it's not just her body type and the role that she has like as a middle child being sort of like the rock literally mm-hmm. almost uh that everybody sort of ex- the person everybody uh, sort of expects to hold everything together right Mm -hmm. because that's her strength um but that fits like the 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 voice fits so much with that yes it was very natural but it also added more diversity to the stereotypical european cast most women like anybody who's a lead person you know has to be a soprano or something uh that, that comes out of like that opera tradition of europe which frustrated the heck out of me when I was more into music, <laughs> but um, probably one of the reasons I didn't sing. But uh, the other part was that each character sings and can change the way they sing. And they didn't have to sing as a choir, like all singing in the same style. Like when Pippa, Peppa and Felix sing together, they kind of have a different take on the music and a different way that they form their, their um, phrasing. And yet it still works together. It's harmonized together. And from what I could tell, that seemed to be partially the way it was written for the characters, but also when the actors and singers were brought in, they were allowed to work with that organically and meld that together, which to me just speaks of 
character building on another level. And as writers, I'm not exactly sure how to apply that over, except to say, don't write all your dialogue so it sounds the same mm-hmm. for all of your characters. Yeah, but I think that com- that that's maybe why a lot of people love um, We Don't Talk About Bruno so much, because at the end of that song, that's when you have all these voices, they overlap and they sort of like interweave and it's 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 beautifully done, but they're all still recognizable very much. It's very particular. Everyone so it has... doesn't become it doesn't become one sound. Yeah, at the end of the film, yeah. it's not like the family becomes this homogenous mass and oh, we're all happy together. They are all very distinct. Yes. And yeah getting that into our fiction on the page without the visuals it can be more challenging and takes more intention uh but it's so worth it when it can be done and i I do think with dialogue like specifically what people say but even like the rhythm in which they say things like that can be very character specific and it, it would be a great exercise um to do like in terms of self editing is to like get a few pages, take all your uh, dialogue from it, right? Just mm-hmm. the dialogue and then see for yourself whether you still recognize who is saying what. I always get nervous when I realize, oh, I could swap this person's dialogue between two characters. And when I was editing Unchosen One, The Queen's Enforcer, there was a couple times where I realized, oh, I can just shift this dialogue here and here. And I was like, ah, that's not good. I need to rewrite that. Yes, because and this is the thing, because because sometimes you know, you're reading a book and you're like, it doesn't talking. sound like this character. Yeah, it doesn't sound like this something this character should say. So even that, like the words they choose, that has to sort of match, right? Yeah, like I went back yeah. through Jarvis's, the main character, the Queen's Enforcer, I went through his line and he's supposed to be really taciturn and you know, gruff and he's he doesn't really like it. And my natural inclinations for these longer sentences, the more the classical type of stuff. So I was like, oh, I need to go back and chop all of his stuff up. He's not yeah. gonna, ex- he doesn't have any exposition. He's just gonna say something and that's it. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. So I like literally yeah. went and like shortened what he said. Yeah. Yeah. But that is, so that I think that's a really good way of, of, of sort of translating what we see uh, done in Encanto to novel writing. Yeah. And I would say yeah. to someone, if I was helping someone try to bring in this distinctiveness and dialogue, much like style sheets are made in films or for a marketing campaign, go ahead and make a style sheet for your characters. Like this character does not speak in sentences over 10 words. This character will never oh, yeah. use X word. Uh, yeah. Like as an editor, if someone handed me a sheet like that, I'd be like, okay, you know what you're doing. I can edit to this. And that works, right? For us as well. No because, one has uh, ever yeah. done that for me. No one Although has ever... I will admit, like when I'm when you know when you edit novels, like I do give comments back or feedbacks saying, like, just from how I understand this character, this feels like a really strong word for them, or this feels like a very weak way of expressing them just from what I get so I will uh you know it is something you pick up on yeah Um, it's something that I'm considering doing going forward because I've spent so much time partially doing this podcast but partially working 
with the next installment, I'm like, I need to understand so, so clearly because I have a cast of like 20 characters in this huge book. They need to sound so distinct. Yeah. So that's part of what came up for me as I was sitting with the end of Encanto and thinking about the distinct voices and like, this was so intentional. Yeah. Yeah. So I know, like, I mean, I have read a little bit of critique, right, about this as well, is that the music is too mainstreamy to be truly Colombian and stuff like that. But then there are also people who really enjoyed it. So again, it's like, there will always be, and then we talked about this before as well, it's like, no matter how hard you try, there will always be people and, and something just doesn't resonate with them. That's just what it is, right? It's... Uh, um, yeah, yeah, there's also a lot of pressure on Encanto because one thing that came up in both of our research is the last thing people think about media-wise, film-wise from Colombia is Narcos. <laughs> so it's just, yes. so if there's a room representing Colombia on a more global scale of media, there's two things standing in that room right now. It's Encanto and Narcos. Yeah. It's not the plethora of representation. So there's so much pressure to be everything Colombian instead of just letting it be you know a piece of it yes and I I think this is some of the critiques that I've 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 read is that some critics say it's trying to be like in terms of setting it's trying to be like all of Colombia in, in one setting and that's just impossible but like you're right there is there is a lot of pressure on we know that like narcos is like the thing that people think about when they think about um popular representation of colombia um so yeah like if you want to undo some of that 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 is there's quite a job right it's quite a task um it's not gonna happen with one production no, and this is the whole idea, this sort of metaphor with this room that we've talked about before right that the the reason why um the reason why when you read something written by some white male straight middle class guy, you don't think that goes for all white male straight straight male. I'm mixing it up. You know what I'm saying? The everyman character that comes. The out everyman, the right? Yes. The yeah. The reason why we read a novel, a novel by one of them, doesn't make us think that they're all this, that they're all like that. Is because there are so many voices in that room, right? So when one of them speaks up, well, some of some of us don't even hear them, right? Over all the other voices that are there. When we talk about underrepresentation, right? This room is virtually empty. So Narcos, it it kind of feels to me like that Narcos is like a megaphone, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's just like screaming into the megaphone. And then the job is to add voices that maybe tell uh, another story. And so now in this room, um, and of course, like within Colombia, there's like tons of representations, right? Just local productions yes. and, and novels. And I mean, and in novels as well, like it's, it's um, there's, there's plenty of novels from Colombia, right? That, that are well known, um, but even those are not I mean there aren't as many as there are uh, it's it's not a mainstream thing yet yeah. um so you have the, uh, this idea right there's only so many voices so when we when we look at like you know popular media 
yeah it's it, now we have narcos and encanto so we need we, we're gonna we're gonna need so many more voices to represent everything and also encanto cannot fix everything that narcos has done to the representation of colombia and colombian people yeah i can't speak to narcos i've never seen it um what i heard about it it wasn't my jam so i can't critique it or say what I, it's done my ex-partner uh, uh, saw it and that just means that i I spend a lot of time on the couch writing while the TV was on. <laughs> so I, I've seen a lot of things just sort of like from the corner of you my and, eyes. You so, imbibed yeah. it secondhand, sort mm-hmm. of. Yes, okay. I know it's very violent, right? It's about the it's 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 all about the, the drug cartels. Um and I'm I'm not saying that is not an issue, right? But that's not all there is to Colombia and and its people. Definitely not. And this is just I am really excited to see uh, a company as big as Disney diversifying and acknowledging that like uh, one statistic I read is like 20% of moviegoers are um, Latinx or have a background in Central and South America. So you think you would be producing for that demographic and there is a lot of excitement um, for people to be able to go and see more representation. For me, personally, even though I'm not Colombian, it still looks more like my family. And that's exciting. Yeah, it, It's taking down, it, it's expansion. Um, and it's just utterly, Encanto is just so utterly human. All of us have families and all of us have problems in our families. Yeah. And you know what, what I found really, what for me was, was a really, cause it's not like, so we talked about Antonio and how we have this, this, you know, this picture of this, this little boy looking exactly like Antonio, like standing next to the television screen and being like, what? Like, cause that hardly ever happens. Right. Um, I think it might happen, but then in different kind of, not in a, not in such a positive representation. But, you know, for me, when I think of Antonio, I actually think of my cousin and like my cousin now is now 14 years old. Right. So I, I'm not even sure whether he's going to see it because he might be beyond Disney right now. You know, he's like into playing soccer and stuff like that. Um, and he's trying to be really cool and he's really tall. Um, but when he was when he was like that age like animals were his thing, right? He was obsessed. <laughs> so for me, I'm like, not only do we see that kids who look like Antonio finally see themselves on the screen, mm-hmm. but what we also have is that I'm, I'm 100% positive that if my cousin, you know, if, he, if he'd been younger, he would have seen that, that Antonio would have become his role model that he Antonio would be who he aspired to, to be. be and that for me I think is also really important because it's so often the other way around like the role models that we have are are often so white and so straight and so um Anglo not like 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 uh, uh sort of like Western European American right so for me I'm like that is really that is sort of an extra step of excitement for me not just that kids who look like antonio and and like the other kids in the um in 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 the film but also that white kids 
get role models who do not look like them? I remember some of this conversation, kind of conversation coming up for Lilo and Stitch, which I did not see necessarily right when it came out. I forget why I wasn't watching TV a lot. I mean, films a lot back then. But when I finally did sit down and watch Lilo and Stitch, um, that, that that was one thing that came up for me. It was so human, definitely about family. People could relate. And it was, it was more than just, you know, the run-of-the-mill kind of casting that we had seen before. Yeah. 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 So I think that for me is also really important in terms of representation. It's not just about, um, although that is the, the big part of it for me, is that everybody gets to see themselves represented in, in culture. But I think for me, it's sort of like the, what I find really exciting is that kids will now get to have role models yeah in their entire diversity i mean i kind of totally expect picture books of antonio and his animal friends having adventures showing up around you know bookstores and libraries i haven't seen it yet but it's it has to be coming disney is not going to pass that up no and i think it's going to be really successful yeah yeah because he's such a relatable i mean like i mean how many kids do you know of that age who are obsessed with animals? I totally expect that I will be buying something for my own nephew at some point because he's about three. Yes, right. So it's such a it's such a normal it's such a normal thing for kids. Yeah, yeah. it is kind of exciting because my nephew's big thing right now is Spider Man. Huge Spider Man fan. Although sometimes Spider Man mixes with Hobbit costumes, and you know other things like tiaras and ballerina stuff <laughs> so he's got the whole thing at the same time that's, and it's that's amazing. good that's good yeah my sister you can create your own reality right oh he's he does not care no oh, that's anyway yeah. this is not a podcast about auntie geeking out over her <laughs> over yeah same yeah but yeah, so we if we do it like just before we close off, like yes, we we we've had the criticism that it turns it looks like um, even though there were like plenty of cultural um, what what you might call it cultural consultants cultural consultants that's the word I was In, looking including for including the Colombian Cultural Trust from the country yeah. of Colombia was involved. Yeah, there are people, and I do think that's a really valid point of critique there are still people who are saying that the actual people behind it are still not Colombian yes a lot of them had uh, like Latinx roots but they were not necessarily Colombian and it's not as if Colombia doesn't have uh, people they, they could have hired as if the, as if they aren't Colombian people they could have hired right who, who are in that line of work um this is, of course, a level of production that we've talked about before as well. Um, so for me, like, I completely agree that this is something that I hope Disney will be working towards. I, I actually read somewhere that they did it better with Coco, which I haven't watched yet. Um, you definitely need to watch that one. Yeah, and that it was sort of like, so for them, Encanto felt a little bit like a step back, right? They were doing really well. And then in terms of how the how the film was like 
when you look at the whole level, like all the different departments involved and stuff, some people felt that it was a little bit of a step back because it wasn't as involved as Coco was. Um, so that is definitely something that I hope Disney will be working towards. But if we look at where Disney has been, that I'm really excited that we now have films like Encanto. Yeah, me too. It's yeah. it's a really good trend and it's going to be yes. the type of stuff that children today grow up with and a touchstone for adults. And yeah. it, it's definitely a brighter and more positive. We can build on this. <laughs> this is a good and, place to keep. And this is, from. and I think this is actually a really important point to make is that this doesn't have to be the end point, right? And that is why I, I, I'm really glad that some critics are still extremely critical because that means that we keep pushing for better. So yeah. I'm always- But we're still allowed of, to in, yeah. we're still yeah, allowed but that's, to enjoy it today. But that's my point that that's, that's sort of how I grew up in, in sort of like my academic environment that we, we talk a lot about affirmative reading, which means mm-hmm. like, like you acknowledge what something is doing, right? while you can still look at the things that can be improved so instead of saying oh again they failed because you know they didn't hire this or this person you can look at everything that went well and then still say okay so for next time maybe try this that for me is the fair so i would yeah i think we should definitely read this one affirmatively as well because i think it's it's making huge strides towards this sort of future that we're all hoping for i agree I agree. I am going to wrap this up here because um, I need to have pans banging around in my kitchen and that is too loud for the microphone. Yes. And also people need, if they haven't seen it yet, and if you still listened because you were like, yeah, maybe I don't need to see it. Just go watch it. Treat yourself. There's so much we didn't talk about. Yeah. All right. Until next week, everyone. Yes. Talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us. Music for this show was written and produced by Eric Mills. If you found this episode helpful, please rate and review on your favorite podcast app and spread the word so other writers can find us too. To get our Doing Diversity in Writing Toolkit, which includes all bonus material from Season 1, go to representationmatters.art. That's dot A-R-T. Here you will also find our episode show notes. Happy writing, and see you next episode!